Before we begin, I'd just like to remind you that this episode is also available as a video. So if you'd like to check out myself and Andy in all our uh, glory, then head over to youtube.com forward slash at Pottywood. Like Resident Evil. Stop. Don't open that door. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Hollywood, and I know I'm not sticking my fingers into the camera this time. Oh, wait, I just did. Sorry. Well, it is hot toddy weather here in the UK. The nights are drawing in. The thermometers are crashing. And I am one of your co-hosts, Steve Hester. Joining me, as always, is... Well, that would be me. Andrew Roger Carson, a year older, a lot thinner since our last episode. I probably dropped two shirt sizes since the last time we did this, Steve. Yeah, because it has been quite a while, hasn't it? I think it's been back in August. It was. It was before. It was before I went to Greece. That's how long ago the that last was. time we did a two man yeah. episode was. Are you trying editing all this by yourself when you've got three kids running around the house during the summer holidays? It's not easy. Hush. hush. No, not at all. And speaking of hush, hush, uh, I guess we've kind of got to get into what's in the box from last episode. Quarter. Just say last episode. It's easier than trying to narrow it down to exactly when we recorded yeah. it. From the summer. Yeah. <laughs> put it that way. And Steve uh, got two movies pulled from What's in the Box. The yes. first one, of course, was LA Confidential. And I think that's where we're going to start with today, Steve. We are. This was the first one that I watched, but this is a movie that I've been planning to watch for ages. This was like our No Country for Old Men. This is something that I always kind of fancied. I've always loved this era. The the style, the the glitz and glamour of the golden age of Hollywood and all the sleaze that's surrounding it. It's a wonderful, evocative period. And the movie itself captures that, but in a very modern way. Uh, it is a story written by James Elroy, who's popped up once yes. before uh, with our Wonder Boys episode, and directed by Curtis Hansen, who also directed uh, the Wonder Boys. And uh, you've got multitude of characters, but you've got three main cop characters. You've got Jack Vincennes, uh, it's played by Kevin Spacey, who's the the wise guy getting into the media and being a, a, an advisor for a cop show, which is a version of Dragnet. Yes, I was seeing if you got the the dragon yeah. reference. Um, then you've got Exley, played by the ex Neighbours star Guy Pearce. Everyone starred in Neighbours. Look, <laughs> Jim's even in the bloody Avengers for God's sake. Um, yes. and, and uh, he's he's your very very typical wants to do everything by the book stoic. And then finally, you've got White, played by Russell Crowe. Who has he appeared on Neighbours? Yeah, there he you go. did appear on Neighbours. <laughs> Right here in this scene. Why isn't the lawman business doing too well? I reckon you'd be able to answer that one. How should I know? Because you're the one that put him out of business. This is my book. This is my little red book that I do all my reviews in. And uh, right here, you've got uh, one page of notes for LA Confidential, and then that's it. Uh, mainly because I was getting into the movie, and I think that's usually a really good sign that you've got a really good movie, is if you're actually paying attention to that instead of distracting yourself. And the story is all about the corruption in the L.A. Police Department. You have got James Cromwell in there with a very wobbly Irish accent. That'll do, pig. That'll yes, do. that'll do, pig. Um, and Kim Bassinger as the, the femme fatale, because all these movies need a femme fatale. Uh, the, the tone of it is wonderful, and the, the, 
the acting is bob on it it's wonderfully realizing that very evocative time period if you've liked Eleanor, which cribbed pretty much about 80% of its story from this movie. It's clear listening to the music behind this, Andrew Hale, who was the composer for Eleanor, he lifted huge chunks of that soundtrack in for this because just the the trumpets, the horns, and the the lone kind of saxophone music, it's, it's there here in spades. As you mentioned, Curtis Hansen, um, the Curtis late, Hansen. great Curtis Hansen, I will say. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, I, I would put it on his Mount Rushmore, along with In Her Shoes, Hand That Rocks the Cradle, and Eight Mile, the Eminem one. Right. Sorry, Wonder Boys. Uh, I also watched this again this week. The cinematography in this movie is incredible. It doesn't slip into the, the more kind of traditional noir uh, trappings of very very harsh shadows and lines everything feels more naturalistic in terms of its lighting style and like you say the tin- the, the cinematography is 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 fantastic it's it's Dante Spinotti so it's it's going yeah. to be amazing he is the best for a reason i think this may have the most speaking parts for a movie i've ever seen there are 80 speaking parts in this movie wow including the mentalist yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we see you. This is also written by Brian Helgland, mm-hmm. uh, well-known screenwriter, but he wasn't back then. Uh, he'd lobbied really, really hard uh, for this script. Apparently, uh, Warner Brothers, I think, had picked up the rights to Elroy's L.A. Confidential novel. I think it was in 1990. No, it was written in 88 or 89, so it was picked okay. up pretty much straight away. Uh, but Helen wasn't uh, an established writer at the time, and uh, but you probably know, probably one AI now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, can you imagine what LA Confidential, written by AI, would be? LA Confidential, featuring robots, is an all-new, action-packed sci-fi thriller set in a future Los Angeles. When a mysterious new robotic crime wave sweeps the city, Detective John Smith is forced to confront the dark side of his city, while his partner, Sarah Johnson, investigates the criminal underworld of the city's robotic black market. As the two detectives uncover a sinister plot that threatens to destroy the city, they must find a way to stop the robots before it's too late. With intense action, mind-bending plot twists, and a cast of unforgettable characters, LA Confidential featuring robots promises to be a thrilling ride that you won't soon forget. Um, I think it was Bill Gerber uh, was the Warner Brothers executive who really lobbied uh, for this movie. And I think the reason why you got Russell Crowe and Guy Guy Pearce was, I think it was down to uh, the budget of it. And I think they wanted to kind of keep a budget lower. And Kim Basinger hadn't done a movie for three years. No, uh, to be honest, I I seem to remember at the time when this came out being surprised at Kim Basinger. Now, here's another one. Basinger, Basinger, who knows? Let's call the whole Let's thing Let's call up. the whole thing up. Um, I was surprised that she was in it, not because of the fact that she was in it, but because it felt like she just vanished off the face of the earth. I have a feeling either the last film that she did before this 
for some strange reason, I'm thinking it was either the remake of The Getaway or it might have been Very The Real likely. McCoy, uh, directed by Russell Mulcahy, of course. Oh. Hello, Russ. Either um, way, she had the Batman money to see her through, so it didn't really make that much of a difference. And all of those broken nine and a half weeks rental cassettes. Um, <laughs> uh, Kim Basinger came back with, with a force in this movie. I will also say that uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Brenda Backey, is in there. They have the scene in the frolic room. Bill's going to love I got the mention of the frolic room in there. Um, one person that we are missing is, uh, is Danny DeVito. Oh yes, and uh, just gonna just gonna briefly touch on on his character before we uh, before we move on. Um, yeah, that opening monologue after editing Mike Deese's episode, which you can find here, I'll just put the link in the description somewhere below. That kind of very very cynical attitude reminded me of Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's almost as if I could just swap the two of them over. It's like great, I love it. Very true. Yeah, you can tell you've been working out in the business that long where you've got that level of cynicism and are so comfortable about it. Yeah. The whole Bud White role, played by yeah. Russell Crowe in the movie. Mm-hmm. How much does this feel like a Mel Gibson role? Uh, well, possibly. Um, but it, he fits it very, very nicely. And the, the thing is, Exley and White are two good cops, really. But they've just got very, very different methods. You know, because White, for all his um, all the all the trouble that he does trying to beat up the gangsters to keep them out of L.A. and things like that, he's doing it for what he believes to be the right reasons. He's not completely jaded with the force in that regard, but he just uses his fist. Whereas Exley is very much the 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 proto politician, and he's very smart and he's very savvy and uses his mind as a weapon against him. So the two of them aren't entirely dissimilar, and it's nice to see their paths cross over. I'm doing that right over the microphone, so it's probably not going to pick it up. Um, and White becomes softer and actually become harsher. Um, the the forcing himself on Passenger though that felt felt a little bit out of character, really. Don't know why. Yeah, it, just, it felt a little bit forced that particular bit. I don't know if uh, it's been a long time since I read the book, but I do know uh, there was a lot more focus on a lot more going on in the book obviously because you know it's a book it's a book um maybe it was going to be picked up in that tv show that they did so they yeah actually i'll I'll mention that so they did do a tv pilot uh with keith sutherland playing jack vincennes and it never got picked up i don't believe it's ever been screened i don't even think it was ever even released as a movie of the week which failed pilots tend to do um but I'm sure that probably would have focused a lot more on it. Yeah, they probably would have gone in deeper. Um, even if it's not actually gone on general release, I guarantee you someone out there has a bootleg of this. Get in oh, touch, yeah. and I will put it into the episode. Okay. Yes. If if anyone has bootleg stuff, we'll, we'll take it. It's like that version of Nightbreed that's three and a half hours long. Or a copy of The Last Jedi, which is good. Last Jedi reference of the week. Ooh. Yeah, just just before we finish off, there's a couple of, a couple of things which just which just uh, caught my mind. One, when White goes to see uh, the captain, he sits down and says, "You know, what do you want, captain?" But the the lips don't match. Yeah. So that was that was ADR afterwards, and also there's loads of places in the movie which will crop up that you recognize, like the captain's house looks so familiar. I'm sure it's been in films before, so there's plenty of places to keep an eye out and. 
and watch to see if you can find your favorite movie spots. Uh, so your final thoughts then? A very good did movie. It live up to the hype. It did. It did. Um, I I thought it was a little bit long, and the actual central mystery could have done with tightening up a little bit. There's a number of scenes which, while they do exist to add flavor into the movie, I don't really think they support the mystery too well. It's a little bit obscure as to exactly what is going on until, I'd say, the last half hour, 40 minutes of it. Uh, that's not to say that it's a bad movie by any means, and it does get there in the, the, the new mo- at the, the hotel. There's a brilliant little shootout. So, uh, so yes, I'd give this a thumbs up. It is very much worth your time. Yes. Uh, you know, there's you know plenty of drama, some great acting, some great action. But speaking of great action, Steve. Yes, that's a good cue to segue us into our second movie of the week. Uh, this was, let me, let me get the year right. 1988. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Uh, I've been absolutely dying for this feedback on this movie because I watched it again last night and I loved it. <laughs> 1998, Action Jackson starring Carl Weathers and pretty much everybody that is in any kind of Joel Silver related project from the 1980s. You've the got, Joel um, Silver traveling all stars. <laughs> it is. It basically, it's a 1980s version of the Expendables. Everybody's in there. You know, half the cast of Lethal Weapon come back for this. Along with yes. half the cast of Predator, there's the um, was it was it Argyle was in yes, um, you know it's hard with with these little driving cars, yeah. Um, so you've got all these faces come up, like you've got um, Bill Duke and uh, is it Sonny? What's his name? Sonny Sonny Landon. Sonny Landon. That's it. Robert so Darby. Robert <laughs> Darby. You oh, yeah. So it's a smorgasbord of of eighties schlock which is lying on top of this let's face facts it's a black exploitation movie it really is yes um, one of the last and uh and yeah you really really love this movie don't you i do i was not impressed <gasps> oh we're going to war on this one this should be right up my wheelhouse it should be. To, to mix my metaphors. And there's so much about it which does work. Like I say, you've got this great cast. You've got this title, Action Jackson. But it's actually really boring. <gasps> for, for, for a movie called Action Jackson, Action Jackson himself doesn't do anything action-y until the 40-minute mark. There's quite a good opening, I will admit, where the where like the group of ninjas come in and, and kill someone. And then about 10 minutes later, the group of ninjas go onto a boat and they kill someone there. Group of ninjas is group stretching ninjas. it. This was, this was basically a guy being killed by a winger-inspired magic act. <laughs> Whatever. But they do they do two things within the first fifteen minutes, and then it's just brief action scene where he jumps on a car. He's in a pool hall for reasons. Shoot out of the mansion in the end. I the plot itself is it's way too complicated for its own good. It kind of wraps itself up in it in in things like the middle of the movie 
the bad guy is just completely absent. There's no cutaways working out what he's doing or where he's going or what he's kind of like pushing his motivations. Jackson goes here, there and everywhere looking for information, but exactly what information it is that you actually think that he's after. You don't know. He just gets it off someone that is like V for Vendetta, except she's obsessed with the letter D. I, I wanted to like this. I really did. I wanted to like this for you because I know that you really, really love this movie. <laughs> and it's, it's I was bored. I was so bored. I was bored by you... it. Oh, my God. Bill is going to tear you a new asshole. I don't care. <laughs> I was I'm, bored I'm sorry, by this. I have never heard a Craig R. Baxley film and the word bored in the I'm... same sentence. Okay, I was bored by a Craig R. Baxley film. Right. Well, at least when we um, had the crap coming out of the bad end of what's in the box, it had it was able to laugh at it. I couldn't even laugh with this because the the humor was far too forced to the point that it just be, it went over that tipping point and just became unfunny. Like, oh, he fainted <laughs> again. <laughs> what? Uh, Mike, no, we we yeah. are seriously going yeah. to disagree on this one. Yeah, I, tell you what. I thought but, we would. So Craig R. Baxley, uh, after this, he'd go on to direct two more films that are huge guilty pleasures of mine. One is Dark Angel, a.k.a. I Come in Peace, okay, uh, which is a Dolph Lundgren movie. Yeah. And Brian Bosworth in Stone Cold, which I have Stone mentioned Cold. on Get It Fresh as you have, yes. a totally out there movie. Um, the reason Action Jackson exists is great. This was born on the set of Predator. It should have stayed on the set of Predator. Not even to be outdone. Right? This was a conversation that somebody had, I think it was Joel Silver, was having with Carl Weathers. You might do him, you know, we need a you know a proper black action hero, you know, tough guy cop movie. And so it, it came around being Action Jackson. And the the funny thing about that is there is a scene, as you'll notice in the movie, uh where they have Predator movie posters up. This does have half the cast of Die Hard. This basically was a movie uh, where to keep people working between Predator and Die Hard, I think. It was like, we've got a couple of months. Let, let's just go to Detroit and yeah. uh, make make this movie. And Delaplane's mansion, uh, it's actually, that's in Pasadena, funnily enough. I know where I've Delaplane... seen that before. Yeah, it's it's been used for a lot of movies, and it's yeah. on one stretch of road uh, in Pasadena, um, where a lot of movies like The House of Bowfinger is there, uh, the original um, Wayne Manor from the Batman TV series of the 60s. They're all along that stretch of land. Would you uh, say that Delaplante was kind of uh, a stand-in for John DeLorean? You know, car manufacturer doing some dubious stuff. That'd be, that's pretty interesting. You never know. Um, I mean, for one, the film was an unexpected box office hit. It is kind of classed as a cult film. You mentioned a black exploitation film. Uh, yes, it was. It was among the last handful of original black exploitation films, along with uh, Hollywood Shuffle, which is a hilarious movie, and I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, which is also a hilarious I really, movie. I like I'm Gonna Get yeah. You Sucker. Yeah. So they they were the films that kind of ended the black exploitation run along with yeah. Action Jackson. Um, I love the fact that Carl Weathers in his movie, as well as being a cop and you know he's been to Harvard and all stuff like this, he was a track and field star. 
which explains the fact that he can run alongside a taxi a taxi. Cab. <laughs> I know. And not lose Jesus any ground Christ. with this taxi peeling off. And the fact that he can do a proper Power Rangers flip well, over the was, top of it. Was the guy was the guy driving the cab, was he grimacing or was he smiling? Because every time he's like, is that, are you amused at the fact that Jackson can get on top of the cab or are you pissed off? I don't know. I can't I can't tell from your expression, man. I don't know. I was more amazed at the fact that they basically made him dress up as uh, Axon Jackson to be a decoy because it was the only other black guy in the movie yeah. that they could find. He's the only black guy on their team. So it's like you can, you can be Jackson because no one no one will second guess. Biff Tannen himself, Tom Wilson, mm. opens the movie with this joke and then ends the movie with this joke. He has the funniest opening line and closing line in the entire movie. I want to get Tom Wilson on this show uh, just to talk about Hi, this movie alone. Hi, Tom. I I just uh, I just I just wasn't into it. I wasn't into it. I was expecting Sharon Stone to be the love interest. Um, I'm of naked, course, which she is. Yeah, but of course, this was the '80s, so you know you can't have a black man with a white woman and have that be the love interest. Oh no, you can't be having that. No. But of so course, the, we we can have the rich white guy shooting up a, a yeah. black girl with heroin. That's fine. I would much I would much rather have kept Sharon Stone because in the end you end up with Vanity as his love interest. Who, hmm. for God's sake, yeah, she she was a prince protege basically back in the day. Yeah, she was one one of the one of the the people that he was coaching him and kind of bringing up in the world, and she had a career all of her own. She'd been in a few films, uh, like I think it was it. Um, was it Too Young to Die with John Stamos and Gene Simmons? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's, that's going back. Yeah. Um, so she was in that. Um, but she can't act at no. all. No, no, the funny thing is, is she actually had a heroin problem at the time or a crack problem at the time of filming that. So it wasn't oh really much of a stretch, God. apparently. Apparently. apparently that allegedly. The, the allegedly. That's, that's allegedly. Um. I mean, come on, Action Jackson! You've even got that great '80s saxophone music in there. Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not debating the score. You know, Michael came and came in, and uh, and mixed it up. It is so refreshing to see a movie where people actually bleed when they get punched in the face. Mm. When you see all the movies today, they'll take like 15 hits to the face or something, and not one bit of blood coming out of their nose or anything. I've got a big guilty pleasure. Uh, of action Jackson because that is just the height of 80s action movies and the height of that Joel Silver period before it all you know got all nine-to-fied I I honestly think the reason why I didn't buy it as much as you do is you watched this years ago oh yeah as a kid when it came out yeah yeah, so you know you've got fond memories of this going back to when you were young I haven't it's like when we watched uh, The Goonies for the first time uh, last year. It's it's a good movie, but because I'm not of that age when I'm seeing it, it didn't stick with me, it didn't resonate with me in the way that it did with you. And I think if I'd have seen it when I was, I don't know, 11, 12, whatever, then I would have absolutely have loved it. But I, I came in wanting something that was either going to be more action-packed or more funny. And it kind of missed it on, a, on both counts. Now, agree to disagree on this one. Um, yeah. it, 
it still holds a really good, you know, place in my heart for being exactly what it is. We're not going to take this seriously. It's just a bit of escapist no. entertainment. Fills no. up 90 minutes of your life. Anyway, well, I recommend it. Steve does not recommend he it. He hates me right now. No. He's already I, plotting my demise. I just pity you, really. But do you know what I pity even more? The fool? No. Our anniversary section this week. We watch them again all of the time. Or we get them on Prime for free. But we only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary. Ah, yes. The anniversary section. It feels so long since we've done the anniversary sections because it has been so long. But here we are. When when we're recording this is October. It's Mm -hmm. counting down to Halloween. So naturally, Mm -hmm. the films of yesteryear were all kind of horror-centric, as they are every hour. A bit spooky. Mm. Yes. So I polled three. Can you believe, Steve, we are going to go back to 2005 so we're not Ooh. even doing the whole 10 year bloody bloody blah stuff okay. uh, I wanted to bring this one up because I know this is a movie you have seen I know it's a film that you actually like I wouldn't say I love it mm-hmm. but I have a deep fascination with it okay well, let me okay. in 2005 this week the movie Doom was released ah Doom. Doom. Not. Doom Annihilation. (laughs) Sorry, Kate. No. (laughs) No. The original Doom. Directed by Andredged Bachwood. That guy. Directed by who? Go on. (laughs) Andredge. I'm waiting. Art Kowayak. That guy. Uh, The guy... (laughs) The guy who also directed um, <laughs> The Great Romeo Must Die, starring yeah. Jet Li, and the surprisingly fun Exit Wounds, starring Steven Seagal and DMX, might be his best thing he's ever done. Uh, I know people say Under Siege, but I'll say Exit Wounds because it is the movie where he is fully taking the piss out of himself. You really? It it's works. not an executive decision where he dies after about the first 20 minutes? No. <laughs> Just to ride him out of it quick. You always yeah. a favour, damn it. Um, I like I like Doom. It's it does have its problems. It's got a lot of its problems. A lot of the f- problems stem from the fact that it wants to be aliens, but it's not. It, yeah. it wants to steer away from the satanic element of the the video game, but that's what gives the video game more of its flavor. And uh, yeah, it's got some really nice moments, such as the um, the the nano wall where the thing gets trapped in it, and the first person yeah. sequence, the yes, rock the being first... bad guy. Okay, the the first person scene is fun. It and is. A lot of people kind of crib that, but I actually went to the cinema to see Doom. So did I. And uh, it's actually pretty scary when you're watching the cinema and it's all dark, because mm-hmm. the movie is very dark. You can't right. watch it during the daytime. It, you just <laughs> cannot. It's a movie you need complete darkness to be able to see. The first person scene is fun. But yes, you are right. Uh, on the originality stakes, no. No. Uh, the plot... No, no, <laughs> no. I was reading up about Silent Hill uh, yesterday, the movie, uh, because uh, there is a third one coming out uh, oh, with, Chris- with Christoph Gans returning to direct it as well, who directed the first one, not Silent Hill Revelation, which really should have been burnt. 
Uh, I did like the first one. I like the first one. You know, considering it is nigh on impossible to get a faithful transition from a game into a movie, and you can ask Max Payne about that one. Um, Mm. It's never PG thirteen, guys. Come on. Um, Where Doom does work, I mean. Yeah, okay, you, you've got Dwayne Johnson as a bad guy. Uh, and he actually really wanted that Sarge role. Because mm. I think they were trying to get him for Reaper initially. And he chose he wanted to do Sarge because it was more interesting a character. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, and yeah. to be honest, anything which then brings Carl Urban into the fold, I am 100% behind. And, and amazingly, this is the movie that Rosamund Pike turned down the role of Rita Skeeter in Harry Potter to do. Oh dear, oh dear. I mean, well, yeah, I bet she she regrets that one. Um, Vin Diesel also turned down the lead role in this movie. Okay, yeah, that I can that I can understand. What struck me as a point of interest is the fact that Dwayne Johnson is the only American actor. Uh, yeah, because you've got Rosamund Pike's British, Carl Urban is Aus- no, he's a Kiwi, New Zealand. Yep, let's be honest. Mm, don't want to don't want to rock that bridge too much. Um, and then I think most of the cast otherwise are British, aren't they? Or Canadian? Yeah, uh, the only other guy, uh, the blonde-haired guy, the the weird guy, uh, yeah, he speaks with an American accent, but he was actually born in Wales. Ah, right. They didn't rely a lot on CGI. They still went a lot of practical yeah. with the monsters and things like that, which I really did like. Um, yeah, they could have done a bit with a bit more variety. Uh, they could have also done with a lot of variety with the sets, though. Because it does feel like they're constantly going around the same 20-meter stretch of corridor. It does feel like they just rented a laser laser maze for a day. Yeah. Can, you, can you clear out of here? We've got a kid's party at one o'clock. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Mommy! The strange man won't stop staring at me. Do you want some drugs? It, no, even even better. Maybe it was just a set from Games Master, which is the reason why Dexter Fletcher was still there. <laughs> Love Games Master. Yeah, but yes, uh, Doom was released. Um, it's it is it, what it is. It's it's it is never going to win any awards. It, it's no. it's cheap schlock. It's cheap schlock, it, it, and it's enjoyable. You know, it, yeah. it's it's worth a revisit. It's not high art. Um, and you know, it's it not Doom Annihilation. It's not Doom Annihilation. Okay, well, let's go back uh, 20 years. And currently this week, there are a lot of posts about this uh, on mm-hmm. Facebook. And, and I know the director of it as well. So, And he's put quite a few things out for it. So 20 years ago this week, uh, the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was released. Okay. Uh, hands in the air. Not even see the original one. <gasps> I know. Yes, directed by Marcus Nispel. Uh, of Friday the 13th. Yeah. Who did, yes, who did the probably the best version of Friday the 13th. Um, I will hold my hands and say that. He also directed uh, Pathfinder with Carl Urban, which was uh, a Viking movie. Which yeah, I, I it got slated, but it's beautifully visual. The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was banned in the UK Yes, it was. Right up until, I think it was 2006? Something like that. It was definitely yeah. late. The The others definitely weren't, because I, I, re, I remember seeing Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Oh! With, excuse me. That's with, definitely um, the first one I saw as well. 
no, I've not even seen it. I'm just saying I, I remember seeing the box with Rennie Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey on it when I was working at GameStop. And it's like, ooh, shit. That looks bad. They were young. They needed the work. Um, but no, there, there was some nice... There was some nice touches in this that I never realized back in the day. Uh, for one, uh, back in the original 1974 film, uh, they had the opening voiceover bit was a then unknown John Larroquette. And he came back to do the opening voiceover for the remake as well. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, as a, a known guy. Um, so, yeah, he was apparently very happy to do it. Also, the fact that the guy playing Leatherface in this is the same guy playing Zangief in Street Fighter. <laughs> oh, yes. Andrew Brynarski is leather. Oh, it's brilliant. And he does an amazing job. He's so imposing on it. Uh, Also, this movie had the exact same cinematographer as the original movie, Daniel Pearl. Okay, so they were properly pushing the the boat out and it being faithful. Yeah, so that was where he started his career, and that was also where he ended his career as well, apparently. His last movie. Uh, I believe he intended it to be his last movie. I'm not sure if he did any more after it. I thought a lot more people died by chainsaw in this movie. Only two of the people die in this movie. A lot of people die in it, mm-hmm. but only two people buy the actual chainsaw, and it is it is a tough watch. It's very ugh. yeah. It's probably one of the better remakes, and I think Marcus Nispel really does really good remakes because you know with what he did with Friday the Thirteenth yes. was spectacular. There's very little that you can do to try and uh, flesh out the character of someone who doesn't speak. You've, you've, yeah. You, your hands are tied. It's mainly the rest of the family. It's very ding, 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 ding. Family. Uh, you have Arlie Ermy as uh, the head of the family, doing a, a really sinister role that he seems to just absolutely relish. Um, obviously, with the young kids. Uh, you have um, your main casting person in there is Jessica Biel looking absolutely fantastic. I'm not sure a sequel was necessary to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I definitely know we don't need so many of them that are coming out now uh, seemingly every couple of years. Maybe it's just to keep hold of the rights or whatever. At the time, I don't think the sequel was necessary. The original is still one of the scariest movies Mm -hmm. I ever saw. Uh, I saw it very young, so it had a major imprint on yeah. me. Going back to video games, um, recently the Texas Chainsaw Massacre has been released as an asymmetric multiplayer game uh, by Gun Media, if I remember correctly, who were the same people that did the Friday the 13th video game. So if it's anything like that, you'll have like one person playing as Leatherface, trying to capture all the other people and then kill them in various different ways while they all try to work out some way of escaping. So... You know, oh, it just okay. goes to prove that the the two franchises seem to be irrevocably linked in some way. What if uh, then again? I think Platinum Dunes, the the production company, it's like Michael Bay's uh, is, Horror yeah. Wing. Yeah. Uh, they own the rights, I think, to them too. But I think they were kind of a, a production arm because I think this was New Line. And I think Friday the 13th was a mixture of New Line and Paramount. Paramount for part 1 to 8, then New Line for um, basically everything after. With And then I think there was a tie-in somehow between the two for when Marcus Nispel's 
version came out. Yeah. So it's a complicated history. It far more complicated is the history of Evil Dead. Yes. Which we're not even gonna touch. <sighs> no. Jesus Christ. Not not this week. No. Okay, yeah, but uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, it's, a, it's a good watch, actually, if you're looking for a good Halloween movie, uh, even though this episode is no longer on Halloween, but if you're looking for a good November movie, then uh, that'll do it for you. Uh, okay, finally, finally. Uh, we are going to go back to 2001 okay. this week. This was an interesting one, which I, I'm thinking you may have seen and you may have some interesting um, tidbits on it. But back in 2001, uh, the movie From Hell was released. Now, I'm, I'm just trying to remember if I have seen this one. Is this... Th- th- I know that this is the one where Johnny Depp is tracking Jack the Ripper, is that? Yes. I think I have seen it. I remember there's there's a scene where he's on a train because it's kind of like in a modern-day setting. And he's reading some notes on the train. That's the only thing that I can actually remember. I have seen it, but it, I, I think it was just so long ago. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's this movie. Is that not this movie? Okay, no. it's not this movie, folks. Forget everything that you've just heard about in the last thirty seconds. Sorry for <laughs> wasting your time. You know, okay. you could well, be at the pub having a drink. You know, making love to someone, uh, having a tasty snack. I'm sorry, I've wasted your time. I'm wasting your time now by apologising. Andy's getting increasingly pissed off with me. As always. Um, yeah, let's go back. From Hell, um, this kind of has a bit of a divide with audiences. And I can understand why. Um, so it was directed by uh, the Hughes brothers, uh, Albert and Alan. Uh, some of you may have seen uh, The Book of Eli with Denzel Washington, the post-apocalyptic movie, uh, which is okay. They got their start with Menace to Society. Uh, they also did Dead Presidents, which was um, a relatively good movie. And Alpha. Uh, that uh, Richard Mirisch worked on, uh, which is a phenomenal movie. Oh, Natasha Malfe was in that movie as well. Oh, hi guys! But we just reference everyone who's ever been on our shows. Yeah. Uh, and they were great uh, visual directors. They still are. Uh, they've just done. Um, uh, I think they were the producers. I think they may have directed some episodes on the Continental, the John Wick series. Right, has just debuted. Now, obviously, this was based on a graphic novel by uh, Alan Moore. Oh, and we know Alan okay. Moore. Yes. As soon as Alan Moore's stories get translated to the screen, they're either completely terrible or not what Alan Moore would have written, as you they call it. You can blame the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That was the well, one. Well, yeah, I've, I've got a link on that in just a moment. It stays incredibly authentic to the reproductions of the murders, what they'd read. But it stays really thick. They even have the real photographs that were taken from the time. You'll see them. Uh, in the uh, the police station when they're looking over it. And they're the real photographs of the real murders uh, that took place. This movie has probably the most amazing set design I've ever seen in any movie. They, they recreated blocks of the Whitechapel area as it would have looked back in the, those days. And I think they did it in Prague, which isn't much of a stretch, I guess. Yeah, no, it's, it's um, a perfect city for that kind of... Detail. Yeah. Differs from Alan Moore's graphic novel in the fact that that focused more on the Jack the Ripper character. Go on. What? Was Jack the Ripper actually... The Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> oh Do you want a good time, dearie? <laughs> what was that from? It was Amazon Women on the Moon. With Alan Moore's novels, 
um, the, the graphic novel, more focused on Jack the Ripper as the main character in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the film concentrates more on the policeman, obviously Johnny Depp as the private investigator. A lot of people get this confused with Sleepy Hollow, and I'm sure that's probably what you were doing with the whole train thing or whatever. No, because I'm, I might be getting it confused with uh, what was what was the other one that he did where he was a writer. The Ninth Gate. No, it no. might be that um, one. It might actually secret yeah, window. Or it might be it, the Ninth Gate one. that I was thinking of. Yeah, because there was a couple of them around about that time that. Yeah, it was around that time he was going through his door face. But yes, uh, Sleepy Hollow, you can argue that he's the same character in both of them. We have to really look at here when it comes to Alan Moore. I mean, he signed a couple of projects over to 20th Century Fox. One was from Hell, and obviously one, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That was one of those movies where I felt I was captive when at the cinema. Mm. Because I wanted to leave and no one else did. Um and if you read the comic books like I had, you know, it was shocking. <laughs> it, it was bad. So it much was, so that Sean, Sean Connery, Connery said he's never acting again. Yeah. 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 That was it. You can thank you can thank that film for just Sean Connery just going, Oh fish, I'm off to play golf some more. Um Yeah. In his defense, there have been better versions that have come out of his work that have come out since. I still maintain that Watchmen is fantastic. It just came out yes. about ten years too early. Yes. Got a soft spot um, for V for Vendetta as well, even though that was messed around with. From Hell, I mean, it looks amazing. It does. It, it really is a, a great feast for the eyes. Um, it's a it's a great film to watch over Halloween. Uh, some people call it dull because it is very kind of police procedural and methodical and stuff like that. I get that. There are no real genuine scares. You know, there's nothing that jumps out at you. Um, I think it's more classed as a thriller than a horror. Mm. Yes, From Hell, I do recommend. Um, I know there was about, I think there was about 30 to 50 minutes cut from the film for theatrical release. The DVD release did have all of the deleted scenes on there, and it extended a lot on the story. I reckon this film could have gone that three hours uh, and would have been really interesting. I think major people's complaint was the fact that it was slow moving. It's a slow burner. Mm-hmm. It's more investigative than oh, Jack the Ripper's out slashing people left, right, and centre like Jason Voorhees. It's not like that, you know. Um, but it is. It's an amazing film when you really just sit back and enjoy it. Okay, so we've got three spooky woo recommendations for this Halloween for November. slash November because um, it's the nineteenth day, so it's probably not going to come out. By the time Halloween's here, it'll come out by the time Bonfire Night's here for all you Britishers and uh, all you Americans are just going, What the hell is Bonfire Night? I'd like to say way. something too. Go on, Steve, what's in yeah. the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> I was hoping that you'd forgotten. I really oh. was. I was hoping that it had passed you by and slipped your mind. Oh, God. Right, no. all right. What's in the box is the part of the show where Andy pulls out movies that are certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, or at least they have something interesting behind them, which I should watch. 
He's going to pull out two names of two movies out of the box. And if I have seen them, he's just going to keep on pulling out names until we find the ones that I haven't seen. And then I've got to go away and watch it before we record our next episode. When that's going to be, I don't know. So basically, it's time to once again pull two movies out of the box. And as usual, we're going to start with our first one. Music, please. Thank you. Steve. Yes. Your first movie. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High? I've seen the swimming pool scene. That doesn't count. It means you are watching it. Okay. That's, that is number one. Okay, Spicoli. Spicoli indeed. Yeah. Okay. I know the reference. Number two. Steve. Yes. Have you seen? Yes. Four weddings and a funeral. Yes. Oh. Uh, Next. Next. Out of box. Steve. Yes. Have you seen? The Devil Wears Prada. There you have it. So, in the next show, it is Fast Times at Ridgemont High and The Devil Wears Prada. Mm, okay. All right. That's a, that's an interesting mix. It's definitely contrasting styles. Um, yes. Okay. Um, but if you want to talk to us about any of the movies that we've featured here today, then you know what to do. You can just hit us up on the socials that are currently appearing at the bottom of the screen. You can leave a comment below this video and and i will probably respond to you going what because yeah it's what i do um or you can check us out on our patreon where you can get audio versions of these episodes a little bit earlier and we're also going to be uploading some uh exclusive content including the extended mike disa interviews those are coming soon and only for people who are on patreon i have a book released Ooh, you tell us about this book, Andrew. It sounds fascinating. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I've been putting it out there. It's, it's been on the social media platform and stuff like that. Yeah, I took some time over the last month almost to write a, a kind of what's in the box book. In a sense, this what's book in the was book? more... What's in the book? That, that would have been great. Yeah. Wish I'd have thought of that before I had this thing <laughs> printed out and sent and sold to people. Oh, well. well I wanted to do something different. We You see a lot of books that come out called Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, when they're all talking about the films that shaped the 70s, the 70s filmmaking movement. But they don't talk about the films that kind of didn't open at number one, were modest successes. Some of them were flops. And I wanted to really get into the history behind these movies. Uh, yeah, it's it's been selling pretty well. Uh, it's where can we find well. it, Andrew? Oh, you can get it on Amazon. That's the best thing. And it's beautiful. It's illustrated. You've got pictures. You've got the original movie posters are in there. And it has all been written by me. Every bit of it. So no ghostwriter here, baby. I sat and wrote every single one. Uh, This is hopefully the first volume. Uh, There is 50 movies in this volume for you to check out and know the history behind and and just see how much of a struggle these movies had to make an imprint. Uh, There is a lot of history there. And it's uh, my first book, so 
Please go and buy it on Amazon. Here's a link. There we go. Well, while you rush over to buy it on Amazon, and uh, no doubt it'll probably end up on multiple platforms after that. Uh, also, um, coming up next, we don't know if it's going to be after this episode yet, but we shall see. It is the Pottywood quiz. We've been saving for episode 100. We don't even know if we're going to I'm mentioning since one. episode 70. Yes. <laughs> been a, Christ. It has been so long in the planning, and I will be recording it from Los Angeles. Steve will be there in uh, wherever the hell he is. The wet. The wet, yeah. Uh, up, up, in, up in hills. Um, but it's going to be a hell of a quiz episode, and it's going to be fun. And we're doing it to raise awareness of seasonal affective disorder. So we will talk about that more on the time. We're also doing it to raise awareness of this show. That does help. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, but for now, though, it is a goodbye from me. And I'll see you from LA. Bye.